Spring is a time of renewal, so why not refresh your home with a little help from Blinds.com? We make getting custom window treatments a minor project with major impact. Choose from premium blinds, shades, and shutters. We even have options for your patio, too. Blinds.com invented a better way to shop for custom window treatments. There's no pushy salespeople in your home or inflated showroom prices. Our design experts can help you find the perfect window treatments on your schedule. We'll even send free samples directly to you. Plus, we can handle the measuring and installation for you. Unlimited window treatments installed for just one low cost. And with Blinds.com, you'll always get transparent pricing. No hidden fees. Our free shipping and 100% satisfaction guarantee can put the spring back into your step. And into your home, too. Shop Blinds.com right now and save up to 45%. Up to 45% off for a limited time at Blinds.com. Blinds.com. Rules and restrictions may apply. Play ball! It's 30 with Murdy with your host, Sweeney Murdy. Welcome back, everybody. As we hit the final month of this baseball season, one of the biggest storylines is the Yankees' incredible success despite all the injuries that have hit them since spring training on. They've sent 29 different players to the injured list, some of them more than once. To get a viewpoint on the injury epidemic, I sat down with the former Yankees strength and conditioning coach, Dana Cavalia. Dana held that title from 2006 to 2013, part of a 12-year stint of his in the Yankee organization. Why talk to someone who hasn't been around this Yankees team in six years? Well, for several reasons. First of all was the idea that strength training has become more and more prevalent over the years and is somehow seen as a root cause of so many injuries. Dana and I discussed the increase in weightlifting over the years and some of the areas of concern there. Secondly, I know firsthand how hard it's been to get wholly candid answers about the injuries of several Yankees this year, and understandably, anyone on the current Yankee staff would not be as candid or accessible as we would want to discuss this topic. Third, Dana worked with a very successful team. He won a ring with the 2009 World Champion Yankees, and he worked with several high-profile, elite-level baseball players who put their multi-million dollar livelihoods in his hands for nearly a decade, including every member of the core four. Dana earned his promotion to the Major League staff in 2006 after a rash of hamstring injuries put his predecessor Marty Miller in the crosshairs. Brian Cashman has never fired a hitting coach or a pitching coach in season, but there was such an extreme revolt against Miller that year after the string of injuries that Cashman made a rare in-season change to his staff. It should be noted that the current strength coach, Matt Krause, has held his position since taking over for Dana in 2014. Both men have been honored by their peers with the Nolan Ryan Award as Strength Coach of the Year. And it should also be noted that head athletic trainer Steve Donahue was also recently honored with the Most Distinguished Athletic Trainer Award by his peers. The Yankees carefully evaluate who is administering their training and medical care, and they've employed men in these positions that are regarded among the best in the sport. There are many levels of training and medical care in professional sports, but what I find interesting is the aspect of weight training and conditioning for a sport that for decades saw those two things completely separate. And now that they can no longer be separated from each other, what is their impact on the rash of injuries we see in the game today? That's why I sat down with Dana, former Yankees strength coach, author of the book Habits of a Champion, which has been featured on Good Morning America, who still trains several high-profile athletes and who has become a motivational speaker for the corporate world. For a discussion on injuries in baseball, why they're happening, who's to blame, and what can be done about them, here's my conversation with Dana Cavalia. Dana, first thing I want to ask you is, do you have any theories 
as to why there have been so many injuries this year. Regardless of the type, it just seems like there are a lot of players who spent a lot of time on the injured list. Yeah. Well, I think one thing you got to realize is that today you're dealing with a, a, a different type of athlete than, say, 20 years ago, right? You know, I think what we're seeing is this first generation or of players that were really introduced to training at a younger age, you know, and, and it, it's not unfitting to see some of these guys starting an actual training program to build their horsepower, build their power at, say, 10, 12 years old. You know, back in the day, you know, you talk about a guy like Derek Jeter, he just played sports, you know, so now the athlete of today, I mean, they're a high horsepower, high output athlete. And when you build the athlete to have that much power, I always say it's almost like sometimes putting a Ferrari engine, you know, inside of a Honda Civic, you know, can the wheels, can the brakes, can everything handle all of that speed for a long period of time? You may be able to handle it for a short burst, but when you're talking about, you know, 162 games a year plus playoffs plus spring training, that horsepower has consequences. It's funny you mentioned that analogy because one of the things I always think of is, you know, a car can, an average car, you know, the speedometer says I can probably go 140 miles an hour, but if I try to drive at 140 miles an hour all the time, I'm going to have problems. It's going to break down. It's not designed to do that. And what you see a lot of times today, pitchers going max effort, hitters taking A swings all the time. This is part of what you're talking about? Yeah, 100%. And the other thing you have to talk about is, you know, in, in having these high-power athletes, that are going, you know, 100% all the time in the games, right? Um, You know, do we need to be adding more horsepower to them? So here, you know, we were talking, you got these hand-selected athletes, best in the world. They've shown power profiles that are higher than than the average, right? Mm -hmm. And now we train them for more power. Do we need to be training them for more power, or do we really start to now have to rethink how we go about training these high-horsepower athletes and get a little bit more focused on what are we doing to recover them, make their tissue um, healthier, more pliable and flexible, as opposed to just packing on more horsepower. One of the things you mentioned was that you know it's not unusual to see kids at age 10 or 12 years old to be weight training and doing this. Is this ideal? Uh, you know, listen, I, I had training facilities where we focused on the development process of athletes ages 8, you know, through through the professional ranks it's it's okay um but to put a, a high exposure to weight training and power development to to a, a child that young for me I, I was never really into it we did a lot of you know balance core training coordination work so as they grew and as they matured through the natural phases of life you had an athlete that we say didn't look like bambi as they were growing they were more coordinated they were more balanced and then you start to put you know, more of that that weight emphasis and, and focus on power training for them. As I look at some of the injuries this year, what are the kinds, I mean, listen, injuries are unavoidable. It's, it's just going to happen in professional sports. And in baseball, you mentioned 162 games, it's going to happen. But what are the, some of the troubling kinds of injuries that, you know, in your opinion, whether, because yeah. we've seen backs, we've seen lats, we've seen hamstrings and all shoulders and all kinds of different things. What are the troubling kinds for you? Yeah, well, the first thing you look for, you know, in my position would always be trends. You know, what kind of trends are you seeing? You know, if you're starting to see a rash of quads or a rash of hamstrings or a rash of groins, right, right there, those are those are soft tissue injuries. Now, there are a lot of soft tissue injuries that, that are 
they're going to happen, right? Just based on a number of factors, which we'll go over. You're going to have injuries that happen to the soft tissue of the body. But there are ways to go about preventing those injuries as well. Again, I, I don't look at it and see, you know, crazy trends that are that are going on amongst, um, you know, if you look at a team and you see, you know, five quad pulls, that's something where you have to really look at what's going on. Yeah. But um, there's so many different different reasons for, for injuries and that come into play. Everything from, you know, hydration to, to travel schedules to, um, you know, the athlete's responsibility and preparation. Or is there alcohol involved? Are there high levels of caffeine that are being consumed, both in terms of energy drinks as well as just, you know, coffee, espresso, etc.? Mm-hmm. All of that has to be considered when you when you when you look at at all of this well i think one of the things you mentioned um you know we should mention is that when you got elevated your position in 2006 it was a rash of hamstring injuries that caused the previous guy to lose his job this is one of the things you're talking about as far as okay there are too many of these let's see why it's happening right you you have to you have to i mean we're in the analytics age of baseball too so i'm sure everybody's on top of this uh you know, I, I would I would yeah. say there's a, a bunch of guys that have been assigned to this project of figuring right. out what's going on and what the trends are. But, yeah, you know, back when I started, you know, we had a rash of hamstring injuries. And I think we were all able to trace back that there was a new program being instituted. And, you know, it was the Yankees trying to figure out how can we be better? How can we be the best organization out there? So they're always looking for what's next and what's better. Um, but we did see some trends and, and it traced back to what I found was our athletes just weren't well conditioned uh, to play to play the sport at that level at that time. So what I always said is your greatest um, seasons of injury is the end of April, early May, through the 15th of May, and then right now we're heading into the like late August, September. Those are your high high risk seasons for injury. Anything in between that, before that, or after that, you should. There'll be some some things, but you shouldn't see a lot of action. Why are those two periods the high risk? So l- let's start with this time of year, right? So you're talking late August, September, fatigue, right? Fatigue, dehydration. That's that's a big reason right there. Um, the other thing is you also have overuse because they've been playing for so long. So um, so there's that. And on top of that, you also have mental fatigue, having to have locked it in. You've been through slumps. You've been through great times. You have the emotions of the playoffs. You know, you're also thinking about the offseason a little bit. So you have all that. But when you look at April to May, you know, you spend so much time training in the in the offseason, January, December, January, February. Then you get to spring training and we're just pushing and pushing, pushing their what I call capacity up. So their aerobic and anaerobic capacity is at a really high level. So they're the baseball players I always found they're in their best possible shape in August. I mean, excuse me, in uh, at the start of the season, April, because okay. we just trained yeah. for six six weeks straight, and then before that they were training again. So that's when they're in their best the best condition. Okay, so now what happens? The season starts, and we take the emphasis off of training, because now we have games. Mm-hmm. So your training volume gets cut by fifty percent. So what happens between the start of April? And the the and middle of May is the athlete actually deconditions a little bit, okay. and then by mid mid May, their game volume they have their game uh, uh, endurance under them, you know, because from playing all those games now they're they've caught up, their conditioning levels have now caught up, 
That sounds almost unavoidable, though, because, I mean, you have to, your goal is to get ready to play the games, and yeah. once the games start, you can't train at that same level. So so what I used to do was manipulate. Once I understood, and it was literally like I start, early, I, saw, I started to see it. Um, you know, I'd see it the first two years I had yeah. the gig, and I said, okay, before I get killed by guys like you, <laughs> no, I, I have to figure something else out here. So what I did was I actually continued our conditioning through May 15th at the same or similar level to spring training. Okay. So I would do it out on the field after stretch, and I would also add it to every player's, including position players who hate conditioning in season, Mm -hmm. for the first 45 to 60 days of the season. And what that did was it kept their legs under them and improved their conditioning enough to where they can segue to that pivot point where the game volume caught up, and then we were able to taper down. What did you find the reaction of from the players was? Well, they, usually players and the, and the strength coach, they're usually telling you to go f yourself most of the time <laughs> when you have to push them. But but um, you know, ultimately when you, when they understand um, why you're doing it, yeah. they're they're cool with it. You know, once you have a relationship with a guy, they get it. You know. Did you find the results you were looking for based off of adjusting that regimen? I, I did. I mean, I wasn't able to really see any any trends that were going on mm-hmm. when I was there. I mean, we'd have still have, you know, a rash injury here sure. and there. It's going to happen, sure. you know. Um, but the soft tissue stuff is really where the concern is. Um, if you start to see a host of shoulder injuries and things like that, yeah, you have to take a deeper look. And, you know, one thing I used to do was at the start of spring training, um, again, when I started, I was 19 years old. Mm-hmm. So I was starting really young and I got the head gig at 23. So I wanted to stay for a while. So I had to come up with what sort of insurance policies can I create? So I realized if you assess and evaluate at the beginning of the season, you now had baseline markers. And when you have those baseline markers, you always have something to return to. Mm-hmm. So you take baseline markers when they're healthy, and then throughout the season, you could compare always back to that, what's going on with this player? So what we would do is we'd measure shoulder rotation externally and internally, take those numbers, do the same thing for the hip. If we started to see throughout the season that there would be a change, number one, it was an indicator that something was going on. But number two, in spring training, we were able to, um, with Steve Donahue and and even Gino, we would um, classify players as low risk, moderate risk, or high risk. And usually I I would code them as red. Like, I'll give you an example of a player, a player like Boone Logan. Mm-hmm. When we saw his injury history, meaning what he came to us with, and then when I evaluated him, he was like red with stars all over it. Now, the good thing was he was a lefty, special, you know, kind of a special ops guy, you know, bring him mm-hmm. in for a special situation. But he was a guy that required a ton of maintenance. So that's the other thing. You have to know what the player's limitations are, what their risk factors are, what their previous injury history is, mm-hmm. cross-reference all of that, and be taking snapshots over and over again, not just every month of the yeah. season, but I, I would do it every single day. For a guy that's high-risk red, you've got to take his measurements almost every day. So it's funny. There there are so many factors here, and it's all in, on an individual basis because every player is different. The most common complaint I've heard from fans is that they just simply say, players are lifting too many weights. That's what makes them more injury-prone. Is any of that true? You know, it's really interesting. Um, about 10 years ago, I, I would have immediately dismissed that. But I was so fortunate to work with a player by the name of Ichiro Suzuki that really changed my philosophy on, on training. Mm-hmm. 
And he said to me, you know, listen, early in my career, you know, I used to lift like an American. <laughs> and it was all about getting big and strong and powerful. And he says, I felt such like discomfort in my body and I felt like I was at risk for injury. And I said, tell me more about that. And this is when we were about to bring in his like specialized machines and all that. And he said, well, what happens is when you lift and this is, you know, it, it's definitely true. When you lift, your tendons actually get fatter and your tendons are around all your joints. Mm -hmm. So if you're reducing space in your joints, you're going to reduce your ability to have mobility in a joint. So the more you lift, the, the thicker the muscle gets, the shorter it gets, and the thicker the tendon gets. So you're actually reducing your body's overall mobility, but you're increasing the body's overall tension. Okay. Now, if I were to increase the tension on your muscle and then say, okay, go sprint at max speed, you've just increased the chance of tear. Because you've got max tension on a muscle, and now you're hitting max tension with max velocity. Right. And that's a lot of what I see is happening now. you got high horsepower, high tension, high strength athletes with less mobility, less flexibility. And you're now, because of that power profile that they have, it's so high that they can rip and tear at any time. So one of the things that I notice is key in keeping players productive over the course of the season is is this idea of maintaining strength you know it's a long season you want to be just as strong in august september as you were earlier in the season so what where is the line is there a line between the maintaining strength and being too stiff and muscular yeah. and and at risk like you're talking about what's interesting is again you have guys again that are hand selected best in the world they yeah. come in strong they come in powerful they come in with the innate and natural ability to hit bombs mm -hmm. and 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 they show bat speed that's, again, greater than everyone else even in the minor leagues, mm -hmm. you know, because they're at, they're in the big league level. Um, I've always found, you know, it takes about six to eight weeks to legitimately lose strength. Okay. okay? So if you did nothing for six to eight weeks, let's mm -hmm. say you injured yourself and did nothing, you'd see strength losses within six to eight weeks. Let's say four if we want to be, you know, a little bit more generous. Okay. So the question is... Do you have to actually maintain strength by lifting three, four, five days a week in season? If that's the, if that's the fact, that's a scientific fact, you know what I'm saying? That's been validated. Do we really need to be lifting them that much? What is actually the, the key to this whole equation? You know, a guy like Tom Brady, a lot of his methods are getting a lot of um, talk right now because he's actually saying, listen, I'm in my 40s. I'm still playing. I don't get hurt. And here's what I do. Right. I'm focused more on bands, mobility, pliability, tissue work, etc. And and I agree with it. Now, I, I do think that there should be a power component. Mm -hmm. But when you get get an athlete more powerful, um, you know, I'll just give specific examples of like a power clean. What's happening in a power clean is you're not getting muscle contraction. So it's not shortening. It's a movement. So you're never going to feel pumped and you're never going to feel that, you know, classic jacked feeling that people go after at a gym, mm -hmm. which means the muscles are not shortening, dilating and thickening. Okay. So you're, when you develop power in an athlete and baseball is a power sport, it's fast twitch. How fast could I recruit my muscle, swing the bat and create, you know, force on impact. You develop that through p developing power. So you don't necessarily have to be the biggest guy. I mean, I think of a guy like Alfonso Soriano back in the day. Yeah. Wicked power, mm -hmm. not extremely big. Derek Jeter, same kind of guy, whippy. Um, those guys are not getting 
they're not focusing exclusively on weights where the you know so our program was pretty diversified with them and going back so you could maintain strength by doing even once a week once every two weeks I, I i would advocate a bit more but here's part of the problem as i see it and we've talked about it you're only spending a few hours with these guys each day they all have their own trainers they all go home and talk to other people they talk to friends they talk to agents mm-hmm. who hire their own trainers and in the off season they're on their own program all the time you can't be the babysitter and the parent all day long even if you're prescribing something for them that everybody in the organization has kind of signed off on they're always always going to be off on their own program at some point or another right yeah i mean typically i mean if you think about it from a player standpoint though you know they look at themselves as they're the asset they have to protect their value and they're going to do whatever it takes to play at the highest level so they can have a a long-term career and so ultimately they can sign a long-term deal and get paid and and i i would say that the agent would be in their corner to support that yeah and um and at the same time you know players feel listen i i need more individualized care now a team is not going to go hire 25 strength coaches or 25 trainers It's not realistic, you know, so players are always going to go search on the outside for what's best for them. And I kind of understand it. Sure. And for me, it was always about, listen, it's going to happen. How do you, how do you, as, as a guy that's employed by the organization, have a, a reasonable relationship with these guys and say, listen, you know, like Mark Teixeira, he had a guy that would come to town every couple of weeks and, and tune him up. Mm-hmm. Am I going to fight Mark? He's a good right. friend of mine. Right. Am I going to argue with this guy, Ryan, and say, get out of here? Mm-hmm. No. Hey, let's go to dinner. When Ryan comes to town, why don't we three of us go to lunch? We'll talk about you for a little while, and we'll, mm-hmm. we'll have a couple laughs together. Yeah. But now we're all on the same page. Gotcha. So now I'm not double dipping when Tex comes to the park. Mm-hmm. or I'm, I know what's going on, mm-hmm. you know? So and, and part of that is, too, it's, it's once you figure that stuff out, it's letting guys like Cash know what's going on to keep every, everyone working as a team and working together. Give me a typical day. If the team is on, say, a stretch where they're playing seven days in a row and you've got a 7 o'clock night game, what's a what's a typical day like as far as getting how many players are in the weight room with you, what's their routine, and, and what do you have to do with them? Yeah, so, you know, it's um, it varies. You know, I, I tried to get players. I said, we have three days of training that has to go on. So I need you a minimum of three days. You know, let's shoot for even if it's Monday, Wednesday, Friday. Those are your three days. But I need you to come in every day to do a, a, a little like routine that was either based on your corrective. So when I did this assessment right at the beginning of the year and you have you don't have enough, let's say, external shoulder rotation, right? You don't have enough rotation in your throwing shoulder. Um, you're going to have a routine that's specific to that. I called it a tune up routine. It was basically 10 minutes. I needed you for a minimum of 10 minutes every day to do that. Yeah. But but um, players, you know, they tend to get to the ballpark. So it got earlier and earlier, but let's say one o'clock, you'd start seeing guys. Yeah. By one thirty, two o'clock, they'd start showing up to to get their their training in. And when they come in, it's depending: are you a starter? Are you a reliever? Are you a full time position player? You know, a guy that's playing every day. Are you a, a guy that's more of a utility guy? What what is your role here? And when you figure that out, you design the program specific to that player in terms of volume. If a guy's playing every day, he doesn't need as much volume as a guy that that's you know more of a utility guy or yeah. playing once every couple of days you know um so that that's how we did it and i tried to move all the training up to where people players didn't work out after the game because i'll just give you a little insight yeah. 
I always said, when you go to the gym, how do you feel? You usually feel more alert, more awake, more neurologically excited. Um, again, they're not doing a ton. So guys would feel actually more loose from training before. Mm -hmm. So when they got, by the time they got to team stretch and people used to bust our chops a little bit, and they'd say, these guys look like they're messing around a little bit during team stretch. It's like, yeah. listen, we already went in hot water and soaked. Yeah. We stretched inside, we trained, we ran. So now it's time for them to socialize. And we used to say it's, it was the one time where the team could be all together mm -hmm. and socialize without the media yeah. you know, there. So it was a time for guys to bond and be together. Did you ever have to fight with players to do less? Did you ever have to convince them to do less? Um, you know, one there was really only one player. That was like Russell Martin. Yeah. Because he just wanted to do more and more and more. Um, at times, you know, pulling Andy Pettit back, mm -hmm. you know, because he didn't realize sometimes that his age. Yeah, yeah. So it was about mm -hmm. pulling him back a little bit, mm -hmm. but still understanding, like, the day after he works, like the day after he pitched, that's his work day. So yeah. we had to make it his work day, but we had to be a little bit smarter as, as he got older. And that's the other thing you had to consider, you know, player age. Right. And the I started by saying, like, it's a new age player. Mm -hmm. You know, we can't forget that the player of today, these younger guys that are coming up, they have as much mileage on them as players that maybe had a few years in the big leagues already. Right, right. I mean, these, these kids are exposed to high volume of games. They're playing on multiple teams. So yeah. you're, you're kind of like getting semi-used damaged goods. Right. You That's don't know point. what you're getting. Mm -hmm. But you are getting players that have a lot of volume on them already. When we talk about rest, okay, it's a, it's a weird thing because there used to be a lot of value with players trying to play 162 games yeah. in every single one of them. And I think it's generally been accepted now that there is not the same value in doing that. And there are a lot of reasons for it. There used to be PEDs and other things that used to be able to get you through those types of parts of the season. And now the testing phase has, has uh, given people reason to dial back from that a little bit. But from your perspective, why are the rest days uh, more valuable now? And even, I mean, a rest day still isn't a rest day. They're still doing a lot of stuff. They're just not playing the game, right? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, the rest days, I think, are, are probably your most important days. Um, you know, for some players that do have a little bit of that old school mentality, you got to let them know, like, you're not being lazy by taking a rest day. Mm -hmm. And you also have to let, you know, some of the old school players know that that player is not being lazy by taking a rest right, day. Right. Um, and at the same time, too, sometimes fans get a little crazy and think it's like, oh, he's resting. He needs a rest day. What's he need a rest day? He's making yeah. X amount of money. Yeah. And they, but, they spent $200 on a ticket to come see that guy right, today. Right. Mm -hmm. And, and you, so you get all, you get all sides. Mm -hmm. But, you know, these guys, you know, for them to go the distance, um, those rest days are, are really important. And it's not just about the physical. It takes a lot to mentally get ready and dial yourself in mm -hmm. to, to play a game. And if you really understand the mental side of, the, of, of, of training, you know, when you're putting pressure on yourself mentally, it puts tension in your whole body. So just a manager telling a player, hey, you're off tomorrow, and he tells you the day before as opposed to the day of, mm -hmm. that allows the player to sleep well at night right. and just say, hey, I don't have to play tomorrow. One thing they used to get players crazy was when they were told they had a day off and they were put in in like the seventh or eighth or ninth inning. Yeah. You know, that would freak them out a bit. Changes the routine. It freaks them out because they mentally turned off. You know, and they're thinking, I'm not going to have to play today. And then they got to turn it on. And now what I, the other thing is players, oftentimes, every guy's got his own routine. Yeah. Some routines are quick and they take 10 minutes. I'm ready to go. Like, um, but like, but other players, 
they, some guys need an hour to get ready. You know, it, it's not that unusual if you put it in terms of there are very few things I would say where an, a, a normal human being like us can relate to a professional athlete and what they do. But this idea of mentally knowing that you don't have to work tomorrow, that's right. something everybody can relate to. Yeah. I mean, think about, you know, weekends or vacation coming up next week. I mean, the other thing you got to remember is these these guys, they don't get Labor Day. They don't get Fourth of July. They don't get holidays like that. There's no Easter. There are no weeks off. It's. Yeah. When, when you, uh, you know, kiss your wife goodbye in February, you know, and you head to spring training, it's like game on for the next nine months. And it's war, and it's, it's just emotionally and physically grueling. So there is such benefit and such reward in a player taking a, a day, and it's like, is that too much to ask? Because, I mean, I, I remember there's days, I think we went on like 18, 19 game stretches, yeah. you know, and if, if God forbid there's like, a, even, even days when there's rain, and you're like, well, at least they got off. You're still at the ballpark. You're still training. And now you got to go play two maybe the next day, or you have to give up a much-needed off day later in the season to double up. It's tough. There's so many variables in, in, in this game. Um, but the one thing is, you know, you don't get a lot of time off. How forthcoming did you find players about what's bothering them? Because I think that's another factor that kind of tends to go underplayed is that players won't tell you that something is bothering them because they want to play, and then it's probably too late by the time they actually get injured. Yeah. I mean, I, I, I think no player wants to be considered wimpy or weak mm-hmm. or not tough. Um, but I will say some of the smart players, they're the ones that bring things up ahead of time, mm-hmm. you know, and, and play. And that's smart. That's not being soft. It's to- it's totally smart. Uh because you know, I would say no, I would tell players, and, and and I tell tell you right now, nobody knows your body better than you. So if you know something's just not right, if you go to your trainer and you say, "Hey, something's not right," and and you get that day or even three days off, that's going to possibly propel you for the next couple months. Mm-hmm. You know, sometimes yeah, you come in and. And the organization says, "Listen, we, we we can't afford you know we can't afford to lose you for three days. We got to DL you or IL you, and you know we're gonna bring someone else up, but take this time to recover. Right. It's not bad, yeah. you know. It's yeah. not a it's not a a, a bad thing. And um, you know, so we don't always know like some you know. There's also a lot of strategy behind putting guys on the IL, mm-hmm. and it could be matchups that are coming up and things like that. So." You know, sometimes we see all these injuries and it may be just a grade one strain that's right. treated like a grain two, 15 day plus, you know, IL stint. But it's, it was really an injury that wasn't that bad. The team just needed another fresh hand on deck. They couldn't allow you to go down for, for, for that period of time. So it's, there's a lot to it. Did you ever find there was a blame game going on when there were periods of rash injuries? I mean, there, there is always heightened awareness. Mm-hmm when um when injuries happen i mean i know myself like i would always be googling believe it or not yeah. online i i remember going and checking uh it was probably the cbs sports did a really good job of listing players that were injured yeah so i'd always be comparing us to other teams did you really and that was kind of like my stat book uh-huh. now there were things like you know with contusions player getting hit with a ball and things like that i didn't Can't put control. under my yeah. but any anything soft tissue i really took personal because mm-hmm. i felt like i could have somehow present prevented that but um you know it's it's just it's just what it is man what was the evaluation process for you within the organization what kind of questions would brian cashman ask you when you you were going you know just regular process of an injury 
how were you being evaluated as to how you were working yeah. with these guys? I think I think the one thing I would say, Cash was was always very reasonable with it. He just wanted to know, basically, did we have a why, mm-hmm. and could it have been prevented? Yeah. And what was he doing? And he'd ask questions like, you know, what's he doing outside? Do you know? You know, he'd look for, he wouldn't just ask a question. He'd try to get a little bit of depth. So that way he was able to um, have the best, I guess, data and information. Because he also had to communicate with the agents and why we're going to put him on the DL and things like that. There's a lot of, again, behind the scenes stuff that when you're just watching a game, you see a guy get hurt, you see Stevie run out, he goes under, he's down for 15 days. That's the way most people see it. But there's a lot more to that process there's decisions that need to be made there's forecasting there's you know do we need to trade for somebody there's a lot to it but but cash was was always really fair and and listen if you screwed up you know you got to just take the blame rather than make an excuse take the blame mm-hmm. um i remember uh you know russell martin one time he got hurt you know doing rdls in the weight room and and i was there watching him i kind of knew in my gut he shouldn't have done that next set and his back tightened up. Mm-hmm. What am I supposed to tell Cash? Yeah. Oh, you know, I don't know what he's doing. No, I messed up. Mm-hmm. I should have pulled him. And, and you know what? When you're honest, it's it, it's actually a really a really good thing. But I, I was I think evaluated by when you looked at the season in the macro. Mm-hmm. How did we do? Right. Did we have a ton of injuries? You know, I was really proud that we got our starters out there a lot. Mm-hmm. You know, and and I knew if Joe Torre told me this early in my career, he said. Pitching and defense wins championships. So I automatically said, focus on their arms. Keep their arms strong. Get those horses out there. Mm-hmm. If you get those horses out there, you get your best chance to win. What, so what was your relationship like with between managers and pitching coaches and hitting coaches? You know, there's the one thing you can't create more of is time. And everybody needs their time with this area and that area. How was it working with all those other coaches to make sure that everybody got what they wanted. Yeah, well, I, I realize in the game of baseball, everybody can be a little bit um, territorial. Mm-hmm. So what you do is you get to understand how much territory they want to control. Yeah. And when you kind of understand, I say kind of what their <laughs> what their piss circle is, <laughs> you know, yeah. you learn how to play inside of it uh, or outside of it. So so if Larry needed some some guy or Dave Island needed a pitcher. I mean, give it to him. Mm-hmm. You know, I would just tell them, listen, guys, I just want to make sure he's ready to go for you. Mm-hmm. Right? Yeah. And then I'd, tell, I'd make the player aware of it. Here's what we're going to do before you go out. And here's what I need you to do when, you get, when you're finished up. Mm-hmm. That's done. It's done. Yeah. Don't argue. Those guys have a lot of responsibility. If hitters aren't hitting, the hitting coach is gone. Yeah. If pitchers aren't pitching, the pitching coach is gone. Yeah. And, and at the end of the day, if players are getting hurt, I'm gone. Yeah. So, so you have to just understand the dynamics of play. And when you do you respect each other and and it's like the old-fashioned communication right it's it's the key and you got to understand when when players aren't hitting that hitting coach is going to be a little on edge not the best time to present something that may be a little bit controversial and i think another thing that i i probably brought up with you at some point over the last couple of years was that if the players don't get along with you you're like you're gone if the players don't want you there like the idea of okay it's the strength coach's fault okay people can say that but it's the players who are really going to decide that the players think you're to blame then it absolutely is your fault because they're the ones who are always going to be right in the end right right totally and you know to say what's everybody's fault i i i 
you never know, right? Yeah. What's yours? Correct. I just always say like, there's got to be something in life you always have to take responsibility for. Mm-hmm. So that's when I said I looked at soft tissue injuries as this is something that I could take responsibility for. Mm-hmm. So that was my thing. But everybody has their thing, right? I mean, you look at the hitting coach, like I said, if hitters aren't hitting yeah. or, or their numbers are down year over year, that's what they take accountability for, you know? Even soft tissue injuries are not going to be preventable. So what's, when you look at those, I mean, what's the goal? You're never going to pre- prevent injuries 100%. What's the goal? Well, for me, the goal is, I, I, this is the way, I, like when I speak to companies and I tell people about my job, I said, listen, I was hired by the Steinbrenner family to protect, you know, three, $400 million in human capital. Mm-hmm. I had to make sure that capital was ready to be deployed at 7 p.m. on weeknights and 1 p.m. on the weekends. That was my job. Mm-hmm. I had to make sure that that manager, when he looked at that sheet, he had as many available names as possible day after day after day after day. That was my job. Mm-hmm. Now, do things come up? Yes. But again, I look to avoid trends. I look to invo- avoid multiple players going down in the same week because that affects my manager's ability to play, to have to help us win, mm-hmm. right? So, so I was in the business of serving everybody else so we collectively had the best chance of winning that's the way i looked at it i can prevent every injury but i can do my best to realize that hey a player went down okay who else is at risk right now and when a player goes down it should be a little bit of an indicator that there's a chance that other players are dealing with something that whether they're not disclosing or they are disclosing or they're 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 tired whatever i got to get to the bottom of it so so I always felt as a strength coach and performance coach, I was always on because I was trying to figure things out. That's, that's, that's how I looked at my job. My thanks to my friend Dana Cavalia, the strength and conditioning coach of the 2009 World Series champion New York Yankees. It's a position he held for eight years through 2013. To order Dana's book, Habits of a Champion, or to book him for your corporate speaking event, visit his website, danacavalia.com. That's D-A-N-A-C-A-V-A-L-E-A.com. His newest book is a children's book titled Johnny the Jet Saves the Day. And that's also available through his website or through Amazon and is available starting on September 15th. If you missed any of our past episodes, please check out the 30 with Murdy archive at radio.com, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Review and subscribe. Our most recent episodes include conversations with Steve Garvey about the Yankees-Dodgers rivalry of the late 70s and early 80s and with Mike Buddy whose journey took him from the 1998 Yankees bullpen to now being the athletic director for Army, the U.S. Military Academy at West Point. More interesting conversations coming your way soon. Until next time, I'm Sweeney Murdy. Thanks for listening. (sighs) Spring is a time of renewal, so why not refresh your home with a little help from Blinds.com? We make getting custom window treatments a minor project with major impact. Choose from premium blinds, shades, and shutters. We even have options for your patio, too. Blinds.com invented a better way to shop for custom window treatments. There's no pushy salespeople in your home or inflated showroom prices. Our design experts can help you find the perfect window treatments on your schedule. We'll even send free samples directly to you. 
Plus, we can handle the measuring and installation for you. Unlimited window treatments installed for just one low cost. And with Blinds.com, you'll always get transparent pricing. No hidden fees. Our free shipping and 100% satisfaction guarantee can put the spring back into your step. And into your home, too. Shop Blinds.com right now and save up to 45%. Up to 45% off for a limited time at Blinds.com. Blinds.com. Rules and restrictions may apply.